video, doesn't it just fire you up to go climb a mountain or something, right? Uh, we are continuing today our study in the book of 2 Timothy, and we look at this, this calling to run for the kingdom, to be faithful to our calling in the kingdom, and uh, it's been so good to study uh, thus far, and today's text really centers on opposition, opposition that we will face as we follow Jesus and as we serve him and his kingdom. And um, I don't know about you, but it can feel oftentimes like the world is getting more and more opposed to Christianity. Like there's more things in our world and in our culture that are opposed to the things that we believe. We see it in the media where Christianity and the Bible are increasingly portrayed as outdated or silly or even dangerous, right? We see it in politics and government where it seems like the separation of church and state just gets further and further separated. Or how about in schools or the education system where we read these stories about schools that are outlawing prayer or outlawing uh, anything that has anything to do with a biblical worldview or biblical teaching. And then we see cultural trends in general, right? Look at the church itself. Some incredibly startling statistics here about church attendance and membership. According to Gallup, church membership in the United States sat at about 70% in 1990. Today, that's fallen below 50% for the first time in our nation's history. And regular attendance, week-to-week attendance, is even more startling. Now just 20% of Americans say they regularly attend church. It can feel like Christianity and the things we hold dear to, the things that we believe are increasingly under attack. Like the opposition is overwhelming and it's only getting stronger. But here's the good news. I didn't bring you here this morning to just depress you, okay? The good news is that God is not surprised by any of this. He's not surprised by any of this. In fact, God has been facing this kind of opposition since the very beginning, since Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. This is nothing new to him. In fact, the Bible is full of teaching, instruction, stories about God's people facing opposition. This is nothing new, and in fact, we should expect it. This is no different from what we see in the book of 2 Timothy. We've seen Paul encouraging his disciple Timothy to be faithful, to continue on in this calling as a young pastor, to guard the good deposit that's been given to him, to fan that flame, and to invest faithfully in his own gift from God so that he can invest faithfully into others. And today we're going to see Paul warn Timothy of some of the opposition he's going to face and how he can be prepared for it. And this is our main idea today. God's people must be on guard against the people and the practices opposed to truth. God's people must be on guard against the people and practices opposed to truth. So if you have your Bibles, open up 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9 this morning. We've got it up on the screen as well. And let's let's read together. We've got our, our color coding up there if you've been following along and uh, tracking the, some of the commands and encouragements and relationships, mission that show up in 2 Timothy. Uh, we've got those highlighted for you if you want to uh, color those in as well. But let's read together 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1. 
Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. All right, the first thing that we see here, this first call from Paul is to stay aware. It's the first point today, stay aware. And prior to this passage, again, Paul has been warning Timothy, telling Timothy that he's going to face difficulty as he follows Jesus. As he serves as a minister of the gospel, there's going to be opposition. He's called Timothy to guard that good deposit, to to be aware that there's going to be those who are faithful and faithless, those who turn away from him and the gospel. He's warned Timothy to not get caught up in the world, to avoid irreverent babble and controversies and those who have swerved away from the truth. And last week, Pastor Nate led us through the end of chapter 2, where we saw that there's going to be vessels in the church of God. There's going to be vessels for both honorable use and dishonorable use. So it's in that context that Paul comes to chapter 3 and tells Timothy in verse 1, understand this. As if he's saying, all these things I've been telling you about, pay attention to this, Timothy. And Paul's going to get real specific about some of this opposition That Timothy's going to face. And he says, understand this, in the last days. So we had a good discussion as a pastoral team this week, or last week, I guess, about what is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about the last days, last days, right? Like the end of, of, of our world, like the end of human history. Well, the realities that Paul is talking about, he's going to talk about here in just a moment, are already here. Timothy is already facing opposition. He's, always, he's already facing the faithless and irreverent babble and dishonorable vessels. The opposition that Paul is talking to Timothy about is present tense. Typically in the New Testament, we see this term, the last days. It simply means these days. These days we live in. Jesus used this term. We read this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. The author of Hebrews says this, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Hebrews tells us we are in these last days. So I think we can sum up what Paul is saying here by using this term in the last days to say that, Timothy, I'm going to tell you what people are like now and how they're going to be in the future. 
This is how they are, and this is how they're going to be. And it's probably only going to get worse. In fact, Paul will say pretty much that exact thing later in chapter 3. And because of these people, Paul says there's going to be times of difficulty. And the Greek word here for difficulty, it means perilous, dangerous, hard to bear. Again, this should be no surprise to Timothy or to us as we read through this letter. Paul has been hitting this gong over and over. It's going to be difficult. Timothy, you've got to share in suffering for the gospel. But here he wants to really drive his point home. And so he gives us a list. He gives us a run-on sentence. Paul loves run-on sentences, right? He's going to list out a bunch of descriptors of what people are like in these last days. And I've bullet pointed it for us so we can just see it a little bit more clearly. Here's what Paul says in verse 2. He says, in these last days, people will be lovers of self. They will live with themselves at the center of their focus and their worship. They will be lovers of money. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? Jesus often warns against money and the way it can take hold of our hearts. People will be proud. The word here means slanderers or even haters of God. They will be opposed to God. And we know scripture tells us that God opposes the proud. They will be arrogant. They'll put themselves before others. They'll be abusive. They'll speak evil and do evil things to others. Then we get this interesting one, disobedient to their parents, right? That's kind of interesting. It's like, evil, abusive, proud, and then like they didn't make their bed when their mom told them to, right? That feels sort of out of place here, but it's significant, right? Paul here is is referencing one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. This is a calling from God. This is a significant step of submission and obedience to the authorities that are over us in this life as ultimately submission to God. It starts in our homes, obeying our parents. Paul says in these last days, this will end and there will be a disobedience, a dishonoring of parents. Paul says they'll be ungrateful. They'll have no appreciation for what they've received. They'll be unholy. They'll love sin and pursue sin. They'll be heartless. Just this idea of of not even having just like a normal human affection or love for others. They'll be unappeasable. You can't reason with them. They'll be slanderous. The word here, diabolos, is the same word where we get the term devil. They'll be false accusers. They'll be without self-control. They'll be brutal. They won't love good. They'll be treacherous. They'll betray others. They'll be reckless, foolish, swollen with conceits. They will love pleasure rather than loving God. And lastly, they'll have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Paul tells Timothy, stay aware of these kinds of people. Stay aware. Understand that these are the kinds of people that you will face as you follow Jesus and do his work. And I believe we also need to stay aware. We need to know both who and what opposes the truth. Do we pay attention to that? 
Do we pay attention to the kinds of people who surround us in our lives? Do we pay attention to the voices that we listen to, to the fruit that's being produced in their lives? Do we care about the character of those we associate with and those we celebrate? This can include our friends, our coworkers, our favorite celebrities, our favorite politicians. Their character should matter to us. We need to be aware. We need to pay attention. Now, this doesn't mean that we're overly judgmental, right, or that we don't spend time with non-believers. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But the character of those around us should be something that we pay close attention to. It should matter. Because as we're going to see, it can influence us. It will influence us. It'll lead us in the wrong direction. In fact, Paul feels so strongly about this that he tells Timothy at the end of verse 5, he says, stay away from these people. That's the second point today, stay away. Let's read at the end of verse 5. Paul says, avoid such people. Avoid them. Steer clear of them. Stay away from them. And this feels harsh to me. Right? Because again, doesn't Jesus call us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us? Doesn't Jesus move towards the sinner and the rebellious? Yes, absolutely, he does. And I believe he does call us to do the same thing. But let's see what Paul is getting at here. Right after he says this, avoid such people, here's what he says in verse 6. He says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions. All right, one of my favorite questions to ask when reading any of Paul's letters is what the heck is he talking about, right? Like, there's these times you're just like, what are you saying here, Paul? And at first read, you're like, okay, is he talking about men who come into homes and take advantage of women in a, in a sexual sense, in a romantic sense? Maybe, but look what Paul says in verse 7. He says, these women are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Well, that's an interesting statement, right? What is it that makes these women weak? What is it that makes them burdened with sin and led astray by various passions? It's the fact that they're always learning, but not arriving at a knowledge of the truth. These are women who are weak because they don't know and they don't stand on the truth. So the men Paul is talking about here, why would they creep into households to capture these women? Because they want them to believe a lie. They want to lead them astray from the truth. I think it's clear that in the context of all Paul has been saying in this letter and what he's saying in our text today, it's, it's clear that this warning is less about promiscuity or something like that, and it's more about people who would lead others astray with false teaching, false doctrine, lies that lead people astray, that capture people who don't stand on the truth. Why would Paul say to stay away from these people, to avoid these people? Because they're dangerous, they lead people away from the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel. This is dangerous stuff. 
And I think there's a huge warning in this for us. That term, always learning and never able to arrive at the truth, you could say that about our culture today, right? Like we are full of knowledge in our culture. We have so much information at our fingertips, right, through the internet and through books and podcasts and colleges and universities and all these things. We, we celebrate knowledge and intellect in our society. And it's not all bad, but it can lead us down the wrong direction. And we see it happen in the church too, right, where we can celebrate knowledge, even an understanding of God's word, which is good, but we can underappreciate We can undersell how important it is to see a change and transformed life. We celebrate the knowledge of someone and we forget about their character. Or we pay little attention to their character, the fruit they're producing in their lives. Unfortunately, we can think of many examples in the church where this has been true. Incredibly brilliant teachers and leaders, but there's no transformation of their hearts. There's no character. Paul says, stay away, be careful with these kinds of people because they will seek to lead you away from the truth. I think there's a specific challenge for us men, husbands, fathers in this. Paul's talking about men who would come into households and lead women astray. I think there's a challenge for us, I think for all parents, for all of us, question of whether we stand guard for what comes into our homes. Do we stand guard against the lies that can creep into our homes? So I want you to picture this, okay? Story time. So it's a Saturday afternoon, nice day. You're just lounging at home, right? You're hanging out, having a nice day. And the doorbell rings, right? And that's like such a jarring thing in our society today as it is. It's like, oh, my gosh, who rang my doorbell? Like, this is terrible. This is weird. We don't ring each other's doorbells anymore. So you, you walk carefully up, right, to the blinds, you know, uh, next to the door, whatever. You can peek out. And you peek out carefully, and there's two Mormon missionaries, right? Two LDS missionaries. You just know. You just see them. You know it. Dressed real nice. They've got their pamphlets, their literature with them, right? At this point, you fall into one of three categories. I know there's people in all these categories in this room. I know you guys. So the first category, you go, I'm going to close the blinds, turn off the lights, and hope they didn't see me, right, (laughs) or hear me. I am just going to, I'm going to hide here really quietly. Eventually, they'll go away to my neighbor, right? And maybe my neighbor will evangelize, right? I'm guilty of that often, right? Like, I just don't have time for that conversation today, right? That's easy to do. Second group of people, you're too nice for that. So you're like, well, okay, I'll open the door. I'll talk to them on my front porch. You know, I'll listen to their spiel. I'll even take a little pamphlet. But I'll explain to them, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a part of a church, not interested, thank you so much, and, and eventually they'll move on. The third group, and I know we have some of these people, swing the door open. They're like, come on in, right? Let me pop some popcorn, make a pot of coffee, right? Because we're going to have a conversation here, 
right? And in fact, later today, we're going to be baptizing some Mormons in my backyard, right? I know some of you people, that's what you do. I love you guys. Praise the Lord for you guys that do that. But whatever category you fall into, here's what I am pretty sure I can guarantee. You're not going to do. You're not going to just let them come in without any sort of response. You're not going to have them come in, yeah, yeah, just tell me all about what you believe. In fact, you know what, I've got to run some errands. Why don't you hang with my children for a couple hours and tell them about the Mormon faith, right? I'll be back in a little bit, right? You're, you're, you're going to be on guard, right? You recognize that they're here with a different message, a different teaching, a different belief. And so you're on guard, whichever category you fall into. By the way, we have a couple in our church, uh, Landon and Ali Shah, who are, have extensive training and experience with evangelizing Mormons. And they have some incredible perspective. If you'd be interested, come talk to me or Greg. We can get you set up with them. Um, they have some really helpful perspectives on this. I think we have an incredible calling and opportunity to reach the Mormon community. Don't want to just make light of it, but... The reality is that I think most of the lies that come into our homes don't ring the doorbell. Right? They're not so obvious. They creep into our homes. That's what Paul says here. They're sneaky. They're under the radar. They might look pretty good, pretty truthful to us. I think about the movies we watch. The music and podcasts we listen to, the relationships that we have, the conversations that take place in our homes, is it truth? Is it in line with God's word? And just in even studying through this text and preparing for today, I've been convicted and challenged. Becca and I have been talking about just some of the, the shows we let our girls watch. And honestly, I'll be honest, it's so much easier to just click play and then go actually get rest or do what I need to do, right, and not sit there like with a pen and paper breaking down Cocoa Melon and like is this, is this true what Cocoa Melon is saying? Is that even, that's the character, Cocoa Melon? I don't even know. But anyways, it's much easier. Just let them watch, right? But, but what messages are they receiving? Are we on guard? Are we protecting against that? One of the questions that we try to ask after we watch something as a family is, okay, Great movie, right? But what was true in that and what was not true? Where was the lie in that movie? And it's been really helpful to have those conversations with our girls and, frankly, helpful for us. I think we need to think that way. Is this true? What lies are creeping in to our homes, our households, our lives this brings me to a question, again, my favorite question with Paul. What are we really talking about here? Is Paul talking about threats, opposition from out there? Is he talking about the world and all these evil sinners out there who are attacking the gospel and opposed to Christ? Well, yes, I think that's part of this. I think there's clearly a warning here to stay aware of those voices. But I think Paul is getting at something else here. As well, And I think we see it in the end of our text. Verses 8 and 9, we see our last point today, which is to stay alert. Stay alert. So let's reread verse 8 and 9. Paul's going to go Old Testament on us. 
Here's what he says. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Janus and Jambres. Who were these guys? These were the two sorcerers of Pharaoh in the story of the exodus of God's people. They opposed Moses in his attempts to persuade Pharaoh to let God's people go. Anybody remember the classic 90s animated film, Prince of Egypt? Yeah? These guys had, I think like Martin Short played one of these guys. No, I don't know. But it was like they were like goofy characters and they renamed them like Hui and Hoyer or something. I don't know why they renamed them. I guess they didn't like Janus and Jambres, but clearly they represented these guys, right? They, they opposed Moses at this critical moment. And let's actually just read it together, just part of the story. Exodus 7, verse 8 to 13, so it can, it can be fresh in our minds. Here's what happens in Exodus 7. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves, By working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, Janus and Jambres, And they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Such an epic story, right? And it continues on with the plagues. God, through Moses and Aaron, turns the water of the Nile into blood. And then we see that the magicians of Pharaoh are able to do the same thing by their secret arts. Then God brings frogs up out of the water and they cover the land. And we read that the magicians are able to do the same thing. But then God, in the third plague, turns dust into gnats. And the sorcerers this time cannot replicate the miracle. They even tell Pharaoh, this must be the hand of God. Now here's where we need to understand that Paul is likely leaning on some extra biblical uh, texts here, some Jewish historical texts to fill in some gaps here on these two guys, Janus and Jambres. In fact, 2 Timothy is the only place where these two guys are named. We don't even get their names back in Exodus. But Jewish historical tradition would say that these these two guys are Janus and Jambres. That's who this was. And those historical accounts would say that after that third plague and their failed attempt to create the gnats out of the dust, that they actually bail on Pharaoh and they join God's people. And then the historical text will tell you that they actually end up leaving Egypt with the Israelites. And then over and over again, they continue to oppose Moses. They make life difficult on Moses over and over again. And and we don't know, it's not in the Bible, so we can't say that's for sure the case, but it seems like that's what Paul has in mind here. 
this idea of Janus and Jambres continually opposing God's work. And it makes sense because if that's true, then these men creeped into the household of God's people. They found their way in. And what's amazing is that they were able to do some of these signs, right? Like, we, we don't know exactly how that happened, but it seems like you, you can't really do magic tricks and turn the Nile into blood, right? Like, you can't do sleight of hand on that. There was some real spiritual power of darkness that was working through these men. It looked real. It looked good. But it was actually opposed to the truth. This is what I would call counterfeit truth. It's counterfeit because it looks real. It looks godly. It looks really good, but it's not. Remember what Paul said at the end of verse 5, our list that we read, that these people, these men will have the appearance of godliness, but will deny its power. These are the people that Paul is warning Timothy to stay aware of and stay away from and stay alert to. We need to stay alert because we can't fall for counterfeit truth. And we'll know it's counterfeit because as Paul writes in verse 9, these men, these people will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. The ultimate test of truth and godly spiritual power is its staying power. It lasts. I love that picture of of Aaron's staff eating up the other staffs, right? God's power will always prevail. Sometimes it takes time. We've got to watch. We've got to be alert. As we bring this to a close today, there's no question that there's a warning here for us to be on guard against the people who would oppose the truth. But I I really believe that there's more that Paul is getting at here. While there is much opposition to Christ in our world and in our culture today, and we should be aware of it, my concern is that we will be so focused on the opposition out there that we won't stay alert to the opposition that can happen in here and in here in our church and in our lives, in our homes and in our hearts. There will be people in these last days that oppose the truth. We see it all the time. But there will also be things in us opposed to truth. It's called sin. And it's these practices, these ways of living that can creep into our lives and then overflow into the church and into our homes, and can lead us astray. That's why Paul in 2 Timothy 2, he told Timothy to flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. It's not just an external battle. It's an internal one. I would argue that that internal battle is the most important one. It's the first one that we need to fight. Our vision statement as a church, I think we have it up here, it's to follow Jesus together, to see kingdom transformation in our lives, church, and world. And there's a reason that we say it that way, because there is 
in order to it. And it's not to say that God can't lead us in all those areas. He does. But there's a recognition that we need to be transformed first. Our lives need to be transformed so that we can have churches that are transformed, so that we can transform the world. That's our desire. That's what we're called to. That's what Paul is calling Timothy to. And what's the prescription for all this? How can we, how can we stay away from the lies? How can we be transformed? We've got to stand on the truth, the truth of God's word. And Greg, next week, Pastor Greg's going to lead us through the rest of this chapter, which I think in many ways is an answer to today's text and, and, a, and a recognition of how significant God's word is in this process. But today, I think the call for us is to be on guard against the people and the practices that are opposed to God's truth. Instead, we need to embrace truth. We need to embrace Jesus the hope of the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to us. He's lived perfectly. The things in that list that Paul gave us, none of those could ever be said of Jesus. He is humble. He is holy. He is loving. He is righteous. He is obedient. He submits himself to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross, to pay the penalty for our wrong practices. And it's by grace through faith in him that we are transformed, we are saved, we are forgiven, that we can bring about transformation in our church and in our world. I think the question this morning is, are you investing in the truth? Are you allowing others to sow seeds of the truth in your life? And are you investing truth into others? And are you on guard against anyone or anything from out there or in here that would lead you away from the truth? Worship team, you guys can come on up. We're going to take communion right now. And what I want you to think about today as we take communion, Jesus is with his disciples the night he was betrayed in the upper room. And he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And he takes the cup. He says, this is my blood shed for you on the cross. And he says, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you take communion, let it be a declaration of the truth, of what you believe, of what you stand on, that our hope is not in how well we can live this out, but it's in Jesus who has perfectly lived it out. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not counterfeit. He will last. He is the only one who will last forever, the only truth that will last forever. So take communion as a declaration of that truth today. When you're ready, as the worship team plays, you can come to the stations on either side of the stage and take your elements. You can head back to your seat and take those when you're ready. But would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for communion? God, thank you so much that you have given us the truth, that we can be aware and alert and stay away from, from lies because, God, you've, you've given us the truth. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your son, Jesus, in whom we can be forgiven. We can be redeemed. We can know the truth. 
We can know you and be in relationship with you. God, we recognize that we can be so quickly led astray by the lies of this world and the lies that that exist in us in our flesh. God, help us to hold fast to the truth of who you are, what you've done for us, Jesus. Let us declare that truth right now as we take communion, as we praise you and thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And then help us to stand on that truth, to live in that truth as we leave here today. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name.